Hello, my name is Sam Becker, and I'm the Brookings First United Methodist Church's Worship Technology and Media Director. On behalf of our pastors, Pete Grassow and Krista Ducker, I welcome you to this episode of Messages from First United Methodist Brookings. This podcast is a full audio version of the sermon and scripture from each week's Sunday morning and Wednesday Manna in the Middle services. Today's message is the sixth and final week in Pastor Pete's Bible study series on the Gospel of John. You can watch the entire service on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page at Brookings First United Methodist Church. To reiterate, at maybe the point of getting boring, but, but the reminder that John writes a gospel to teach about the things that Jesus thought. He does not write a gospel to tell us what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus did, go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's gospel what was the teaching of Jesus? And John then illustrates with stories from the life of Jesus. I thought it might be helpful this week just to recap the chapters. Chapter 1, here is the one who brings light into darkness. And you'll remember all that poetic language about the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has never put it out. The word that God speaks brings light into this world. Chapter 2, cleansing the temple. Here is the one who comes to bring fresh air into a stale faith. You, you, you are invited to picture Jesus throwing the doors of the temple open and saying all those who have been kept out are welcome in and and John hoping that the person who's now reading this gospel is hearing that they're included as well. Dear reader, if you feel like you've been shut out the faith, discover Jesus who's thrown the doors open and said you're welcome, you can come in. Which is why that story is so early in the gospel of John. Chapter 3, story of Nicodemus. This refreshing faith does require you to let go the old stuff. In the words of chapter 3, you need to be born again. Start afresh. Be willing. Be willing to be open to new ideas as a young, a young child growing up all over again. Nicodemus saying, can I do this? And Jesus saying, Nicodemus, even though you are a Pharisee schooled in this tradition, you too can let go of some of that stuff and can begin again. Chapter 4, story of the woman at the well. This fresh, new faith, this breath of fresh air, is a place of welcome. Please note, those of you that are coming from the old ways, Jesus embraces new ways even to welcoming a dodgy woman and welcoming Samaritans. 
So you, dear reader, as you read the story, if you feel like an outsider, you are welcome. If you're battling with this idea, you better get used to it because Jesus doesn't change. He, he holds his line that all people are welcome. Chapter 5, which we did last week, we got into some theology. It starts out with a story of a healing at the pool. But ultimately, John is trying to say, this one who can do healings like this and at the same time pronounce this man forgiven has to be the Son of God because only the Son of God can do something like this. And so John 5, 19 to 30, today's language would say it's Jesus' keynote address. Up front, this is what Jesus is about Jesus claims to be equal to God. There's no apology. There's no uh, uh, um, ducking this one. And John's saying, if you want to follow Jesus, you better be clear that as human as Jesus is, Jesus is also divine. And we, our, our Christian faith, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a really, really uncomfortable teaching for Jewish people. If you come out of a Jewish tradition, this is heresy. It's the most uncomfortable thing you are going to hear. And John says, I understand it's uncomfortable, but I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm putting it on the table that you will know where the story goes from here. You okay with that? Because today we go to the Sea of Galilee. Six, a really important chapter in John's Gospel and a nice place for us to stop in our study where for the first time a challenge is posed. We discover in chapter 6 that there are some people who stop following Jesus and the words literally are, this is too hard for us. And just as an aside, seldom do we hear sermons on the fact that there are people who abandon Jesus. Maybe because you want to carry this picture of Jesus who was immensely popular, but suddenly in John 6 we find that there are people who say, we can't go with you anymore. And tonight we'll unpack that, and I do think John wants the readers to make up their minds. Are you going to keep going? Are you willing to commit to Jesus or not? Because following Jesus is not just religious entertainment. Following Jesus is discipleship. It costs something to follow Jesus. And chapter 6 is about the cost of following Jesus. And so John takes us to the Sea of Galilee. Anyone been to the Sea of Galilee? Nancy. I brought a picture. It, it, I found this to be a deeply spiritual place. Just as an aside, um, Israel's quite awful in some respects. And, and I get it. It's a tourist center, and there are people everywhere trying to flog you stuff. Religious crap that you must buy and take home, and I understand it, they're trying to make a living. A friend of mine said, 
there are enough pieces of the cross of Jesus to have made a whole forest. Um, people are selling you little bits of stuff all over. Uh, there are all sorts of holy sites that may or may not have been the original. I doubt that half of them are the original. Um, because when the Crusaders arrived, they arrived expecting to find Israel as they'd read the Bible. And they asked the local people, and you must understand, when a knight arrives with a sword in his hand and says, so tell me where the Pool of Siloam is, you will find it really quickly. You'll say, no, no, it's over here. Just leave me alone. So I think half of, half of the sites are ach, tourist places. I'm not sure they are the real thing, but that's just my opinion. I love the Sea of Galilee because there is a moment where out on the water you can actually imagine Jesus and his disciples. If they could have built churches on the Sea of Galilee, they would have, but they couldn't. So the Sea of Galilee is unspoiled. It's a wonderfully quiet, calm, awesome place. Sorry, that was a complete aside. Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I have a map so that we can just track ourselves because the, the chapter 6 starts. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee or Lake Tiberias, as it is also called. Here's the Sea of Galilee. And much of his ministry happens on the shores of the sea. Lots and lots of stories happen around this particular piece of water. Um, also called the Kinneret, a freshwater inland lake. The Romans called it Lake Tiberius because they could. Um, when you conquer a country, you give new names to all the places. And the emperor was Tiberius, so they named it after the emperor. So you had official Roman designation and you had the locals that called it by another name. It's a history that we are all familiar with. So, so John tells two stories, two very familiar stories, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water to the boat and calming a storm. I need to remind us that John is actually not trying to tell interesting stories. John is trying to give a teaching. And the stories are illustrations to the teaching. And it's really hard because I have preached on both these stories. They've generated hundreds of sermons. So sermons on the feeding of 5,000, sermons on Jesus calming the storms. I have a really, really nice sermon on preaching the 5,000. I've even got a song that I wrote, and I was so tempted just to do that tonight, but it would, would have betrayed the Bible study. So I'll do the sermon at some other point. The Bible study, the looking at what John is trying to do, has been our journey over the last six weeks. So, so understand that this chapter, chapter 6, 
has everything to do with the statement that Jesus makes about himself. I am going to make you do the work. And you might have spotted it. I gave you a clue in the hymn we have just sung. Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. That is the theme of this whole chapter. That's the glue that holds it together. So feeding people bread, and Jesus then saying, I am the bread of life, are the same story. They're not two unrelated things. Um, Jesus calming his disciples, saying to them, do not be afraid, and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, are the same story. They are related. John is trying to make a point. John is trying to say, Jesus is the spiritual food that nourishes you. Full stop. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to search anywhere else. Jesus is enough to nourish your souls. Now read this chapter, says John, and learn something about Jesus. That's the glue that holds the whole passage together. Okay? I'm going to walk us through it a bit, but I want you to keep in mind, um, I'm not doing the sermon thing. And there's some really awesome bits of sermon. So the way John tells it, Jesus discovers there's a crowd who has followed him, discovers there's a crowd that has followed him out of the city. He has been preaching outside of the centers of power, preaching to rural people who very seldom get opportunity for any kind of religious education. It's deliberate. He has said, here are the people who know very little about God. I am called to be the bread that nourishes them. And so they follow him out into the countryside and he spends the day teaching. Just as an aside, knowing the culture, it's inconceivable that people would have gone out into the countryside empty-handed. I just need to cough. So, so bear with me and see where I take us. Because sometimes in our preaching, we want to turn Jesus into the magician who does magic stuff. And I think there's an even bigger miracle than the, the breaking of the bread. The bigger miracle is the changing of hearts. Because that really is what Jesus was about. Jesus was quite insistent that he should not be seen as a magician. And when people come to him and say, do another miracle, if you remember, his big showdown in Nazareth was, I'm not doing it. And they were really, just, they said, you are a homeboy, you should be doing miracles for us. And he said, no, I am not called to do miracles. In fact, even in that temptation, 
um, in the wilderness. He was told, do the miracles, turn stones into bread, cast yourself off the temple. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm called to do. Not that he couldn't, not that he didn't have the power, but that wasn't his primary calling, to be a dispenser of miracles. Jesus' primary calling was to change the human heart. And I want to argue that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, was about changing human hearts. People had gone out into the countryside to listen to the teacher. There comes the moment when people would normally have broken bread together. So try and imagine. <clears throat> There's this crowd listening to Jesus, and everybody is now aware that it's lunchtime. The problem is, local culture is such that you cannot eat on your own. You, the, the, the culture of hospitality means the moment I take my lunch out, I'm going to have to share it with other people around me. But I'm not seeing anybody else take their lunch out. So I just leave my lunchbox exactly where it is. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, aren't you guys hungry? And they say to him, you must be crazy. If we take our food out, all of these people, they're not even shops that we can go and get food. And it seems, the way the story's told, there's a little boy there who in the purity of his heart, the, the naivety of his faith, takes his lunchbox out and he goes to Jesus and, and I'm putting words into the Bible, but I hear him saying, Jesus, you look hungry. Can I share my lunch with you? The lowest. Yeah. Which some people think this little boy was probably number seven in the family. So he just comes with a couple of little tilapias and, and some little loaves. And out of the purity of his heart, he says to Jesus, I think, I think I can share my lunch with you. Which is amazing. Just the awesomeness of this little boy. And so Jesus takes the lunch. And now for me, the next step of awesomeness, Jesus says, well, I'm not going to eat this all by myself. And he breaks some. And he gives some to the people around him. Who then say, well, actually, now that you mention it, I also brought my lunchbox. And they take theirs out. And I have a sense of everybody owning up to their selfishness. Everybody saying, well, <clears throat> now that you mention it, I've also got my lunchbox. And, and for me, the miracle is the softening of the human heart of people being willing to share that which they brought, because Jesus modeled it first. Jesus could have just taken the gift from the boy and said, thank you, because he was the rabbi. It, it was his due. And he could have had lunch, but he didn't. What John is doing, though, what John is doing is trying to talk about bread. And John tells a story about bread that makes visible the demonstration of who Jesus really is about. Jesus who says, I have come to feed the human heart, 
I've come to soften the hearts of the people. I've come to be the bread of life that gives new life to everybody. And so people sit down and Jesus says the grace and people share. And you know what's amazing is there's food left over, which clearly says some people brought more than they needed anyway. They just weren't ready to share it, which might speak a little to human nature. The temptation to say to your family, don't take it out now, we'll eat it on the way home. You know? And so, <clears throat> after a day of teaching, Jesus is exhausted. The disciples say they're going home, going to Capernaum. They get in a boat, they sail across the sea, a sea that is <clears throat> surrounded by hills, designed in a way that generates local storms. And one of those local storms came up. I like the idea, though, the picture of Jesus who's gone off to pray, sitting up on the hill, watching the progress of this boat. It's not like he abandoned them. It's not like he turned his back on them. I have a real sense of Jesus praying, but at the same time making sure they're okay, and then realizing they're really not okay. And I love the words that Jesus speaks, saying, when he arrives with them, saying, don't worry, guys, I will not leave you. I, I hold you in the middle of a storm. This story, you will note, differs, because there is another story that adds a bit about Peter climbing out the boat and walking to Jesus. Um, I'm particularly partial to that one because I've often felt like Peter. But that's not this story. So I'm not going to go into that. But I have a sermon to preach one day on Peter. Um, <clears throat> John 6.20 Jesus said to them, It is I do not be afraid. And then we go into John 6, 22 to 59. We are told the people rush after Jesus. He sails across, they run around. They follow him. And this debate ensues. I'll read just a little bit. John 6, 26, Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Hungry crowds following Jesus because there's free bread, and Jesus says to them, there are bigger things in life than free bread. Not that free bread isn't great, but Jesus says, I really do need you to, go, to ask the bigger question in life. What is the purpose of your life? Is the purpose of your life filling your stomach? Or can the purpose of your life be something more than just 
feeling full for the day. And I think an existential question that every generation needs to ask. Part of growing up, part of growing as Christians is revisiting that question over and over again. Is the purpose of my life having a full tummy? Or can my life mean something more? John 6.30, so they say to him, what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? So do something that we may believe you. Do you understand what nonsense they're talking? Has Jesus not just done something? And is it not human nature for us to pursue um, the miraculous? At the point that Jesus asks them, so what's the purpose of your life? It's like he hasn't asked the question. They literally say, so what else are you going to do for us? The point Jesus says, so what are you going to do with your life? They say to him, no, what are you going to do for us? Do, do you hear the, the utter pain of what's happening here? The pain of people saying, we are consumers of religion. We just want the next miracle. We want the next thing that's going to fill our tummies. And literally ignoring the question that Jesus has asked when he's saying, what is the purpose of your living? Is the purpose of your living pursuing miracles? Because if so, don't follow me. Because I'm not going to make you happy. Do you hear him? Do you hear how uncomfortable he is? I'm kind of saying, Jesus, that's not a wise way to deal with the crowds. If you want lots of people to follow you, give them miracles. Don't you know that's how you build a crowd? <laughs> Popular Preacher 101. You'll fill your church if you have a miracle every Sunday in church. Just put it out there. This week we're going to be praying for backs. Next week we'll be straightening legs. Week after we'll be doing headaches. And then just make sure you have somebody set up who can come forward and give a testimony. And preferably post it online so that people can see how successful your church is. Sorry, I know I'm being really cynical now. But I don't see Jesus doing that. And I, and I can weep with despair when I see preachers who feel the need to do miracles in order to fill their churches. Because that's not what Jesus did. And if we claim to follow Jesus, we better take Jesus a little more seriously. Jesus, who literally rebukes the crowd and says, you following me, because you want miracles. I'm asking you, what's the purpose of your life? What is that thing that you are called to do? And to his horror, they turn around and say, no, no, but what are you going to do for us? Do, do you hear how this is an incredibly painful moment? John 6.33, the, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, gives life to the world, and they say to him, John 6, 34, 
a, a dreadful, they say, Sir, give us this bread. Give us. When he's saying, what are you going to give? They literally turn around and say, no, but give it to us. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I say to you who've seen me and yet do not believe. And we have John who's doing some stylistic stuff. So this conversation might not have exactly have happened like this. It's not, it, it, I hope you understand, it's not like John was standing there with a notebook jotting down, quote, unquote. This is a reconstructed conversation written down many years later as John thinks about this moment. And what John is really trying to say is Jesus was offering people a deeper meaning to life. And all they could do was say, do some more stuff for us. If you like, entertain us further. And at this moment, Jesus says, I'm not going to do it. John does um, introduce at this point a recurring theme. So when you do John's Gospel, John's Gospel is famous for a a series of I am's. There are seven I am's in John's Gospel. Um, Sam, can we just go to the next slide? Um, there, John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This I am phrase gets revisited in the booklet I gave you. It's in a footnote. But it's in John 6, John 8, John 10, John 11, John 14, John 15. Each time John introduces an I am, which is part of describing who Jesus is. It's also a very, very strong borrowing from the Old Testament when Moses stands in front of the burning bush and Moses says to God, what's your name? And the answer is, I am who I am. I exist before you, Moses. That should be sufficient. John quite intentionally now uses these words, I am, as the reminder that Jesus is divine. He has the right to speak this kind of God language, but, but then weaves it into his story. And so you'll find seven I am's through John. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. Um, and in a sense, this first one really asks those who read the gospel and those who are following Jesus, are you willing to allow me to feed you? Not fill your tummies, but to feed your soul. Are you willing to make me the source of your life? And it's quite clearly a choice. There's no beating around the bush. It's literally saying, you guys must now decide because I'm not doing any more miracles for you as if I am your entertainer for the day. Jesus, clear, I'm not your religious entertainment. I am here to challenge you about the way you live and I will, and I will ask you right now. And so we get this, John 6 verse 60, this 
amazing, disheartening moment when many of his disciples, many of who? His disciples, those who have been learning from him, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's not the strangers. It's not someone who just drifted in. These are the people who've been listening to him. Disciple means student. He lost students. He lost students because he refused to be their entertainment. Jesus said, I'm challenging you about the way you live. Are you willing to step up and, and be more than just consumers of religion? And so, 67, Jesus said to the 12, okay, and what about you guys? Are you going to join them as well? And there's this poignant moment when they say, you know what? We really have nowhere else to go. We, we're going to stick with you. I can hear them saying, we're really not quite sure about all of this, but we're going to hang in here and we're going to keep learning. And I like that because the moments I've been that, the moments when I've said to Jesus, I really am not sure and I don't understand everything, but I'm just going to hang in and keep going. And, and I'll be quite candid that I follow Jesus not because I understand everything about Jesus. I follow Jesus because Jesus gives me meaning and purpose, meaning and purpose to my living. If we follow Jesus because we understand everything, we'll never follow. We can't have that precondition. Explain everything to me first before I'll follow you. It'll never happen. There's a real sense of Jesus saying, come with me, we'll learn as we go. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to, to learn with me as we go? And so that hymn we started with, and, and I love the theology of it. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. You be my nourishment. You be the source of what gives me life. It's, it's an awesome hymn. It, the depth of that hymn is just wonderful. Let me, let me sound like I've been preaching. I'm sorry. Am I making sense here or have I lost you? Um, I, I've, I've tried to acknowledge there are two stories that make wonderful sermon topics and we can unpack those at another point. But I want to give us the bigger scope of what John is trying to do. And John is literally saying, dear reader, don't follow Jesus because you think he's going to entertain you. Because he might just turn around and say to you, make up your mind. Do you want to grow or do you want to be entertained? And this heartbreaking moment where some people say, you know what, we, we can't do this. We came out to you because we thought you could, you could make our lives more interesting. Thank you for listening to today's message from First United Methodist Brookings. To get every message delivered to you, subscribe to this podcast for free and leave us a review wherever you get yours. 
and be sure to watch for new podcasts from us launching in the coming months. You can always find more information about our services and outreach on our website at brookingsmethodist.org and on our Facebook page, Brookings First United Methodist Church. On behalf of the pastors of Brookings First United Methodist Church, thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast was produced by Sam Becker on behalf of First United Methodist Church in Brookings, South Dakota. Intro and outro music was performed by our praise team under CCLI license number 936719, streaming plus license number 21039161. Visit brookingsmethodist.org for more information.